Hello and welcome to the Sounds of Success. My name is Phil Butler. I'm Christina Bowie. We're pumped to be back in the recording studio. For a lot of reasons, but especially for today, because this is our 10th episode. Insert sound. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> so we're really, really excited. This podcast started in fall 2020. Yeah, in, and in, in the throes of the pandemic. In the throes of the pandemic. From our living rooms. <laughs> yes, from our living rooms. And I was recording with a $10 pair of Sony headphones that I bought in like 2016. I was using the headphones you get with your phone for free. That makes sense. Honestly, <laughs> I should have just done that. But um, now we are in the studio. We've been in the studio for a bit and it's been a wild journey. Feeling professional. We do feel very professional. My, my parents keep asking me what I do at work, and I cannot begin to explain what it is that I do at work. <laughs> uh, I told uh, this story earlier, uh, but students in my class this week were like, you should start a podcast. I'm like, well, let me tell you, I have something you might just be oh interested in. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, I made my students listen to this podcast as part of an assignment, and somebody told me, Wow, the guest on the podcast was really awesome, and we should have her as a guest speaker in class. And I, I didn't know what to do. Like Awkward. I am your guest speaker. You see me every week. But yes, this is our 10th episode. We're super excited about it because today we are talking about undergraduate research. Mm-hmm. And we have two very esteemed guests today. They are both named Rob, don't get them confused, but they will be introducing <laughs> themselves. Uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and head into the interview and we'll let the, our esteemed guests introduce themselves. Well, today we have two esteemed guests with us on The Sounds of Success. We're really excited to talk to Drs. Krosno and Dr. Reikley. Um, welcome, gentlemen. Um, Maybe give a little short introduction for yourselves, for our audience, real quick, so they know who we're chatting with. Uh, I'm Rob Krosnow. I am the Associate Dean of the College of Liberal Arts, and I'm a professor uh, in the Department of Sociology and Psychology, and I have been here for 20 years on the faculty. And before that, I was actually an undergraduate student here at UT. Them horns, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My parents were... My grandparents were, so oh, I go way God. back. Yeah, so you're like a third, third generation. I'm Rob Reikley. I'm the director of the Office of Undergraduate Research, which is part of the School of Undergraduate Studies, and I've been doing that for about seven years. Um, prior to that, I was uh, faculty at Northern Illinois University. Prior to that, I did my graduate degree here in the Department of French and Italian. Uh, I did my master's and PhD. Um, yeah. Northern Illinois. I feel like I've been there before. It's in like Cornfield Central, right? It is. De- DeKalb, Illinois. DeKalb, that's it's, the name of the town. It's a lot I different from Austin. It. Yeah. yeah. There's um, a reason I wanted to come back to Austin. Well, great. Well, we have we have the, the Rob team today, two Robs. We have the Rob team. <laughs> well, we're excited to talk to y'all about a topic I must admit I don't really know a whole, whole lot about. So I'm really excited to kind of learn a little bit more from uh, you gentlemen today. We're talking about undergraduate research. Yay! Um, So I guess, um, you know, we all know that a university is a place where you go to college, right? And you take classes. Um, but UT is is a research university, right? And I, I think that a lot of undergraduates don't know what that is or what that means. So uh, I guess our first question to you all is, what is a research university, a research institution? Um, and, you know, why, why should undergraduates care about that? <laughs> I mean, I would say the quick answer to that is that 
by being a research university just means research is part of the mission of what this university is supposed to do. It's not just to teach students, like that is a humongous part of what the university does, but there's this parallel mission where it's to conduct research, just to add to the body of knowledge in uh, all of the academic fields that faculty are active in here. Mm -hmm. I like what you said there, that they're like, you know, it's a hand in hand uh, activity, right? I feel like sometimes we kind of like separate like teaching over here and research over there, but but really there's a Venn diagram and there's plenty of opportunities for overlap, right? Yeah, I mean, all universities have teaching and learning as part of their education, really at the core of their educational mission, but research universities, which Texas is definitely one, mm-hmm. um, you know, we really center research as part of the center of what we do. And, you know, those two things work together really well. And, you know, we, I mean, if you think about research as, I, I think that research universities view research as part of the public good or serving mm-hmm. the public good, meaning that you know, we're there to provide some service and we view research and the insights that it could produce as part of that. And that might mean doing the actual research here with faculty and students doing the research, but it's also the training of people or the teaching of research techniques to students so that they can go be researchers mm, elsewhere or here. Right, right. Like like, like research boot camp almost yeah. in some ways, right? And if, and if it is a public good, then that's a reason for undergraduate students to get involved in research, right? They can serve that public good, which is its own reward, but they can also get their other reward for that too, which is that, you know, research skills are a marketable skill that Mm. translates into the, to the labor force. And it's also fun and it can provide a sense of purpose and a sense of accomplishment. So Mm. it's really part of the learning experience at a university like this that people at other universities might not get. I like that you put it as research as a public good because Phil and I tell our classes all the time, there are all these different ways to get involved with your studies. You can do research, you can do community service. And I guess I never really thought about it as research is a service for the community and providing that information and that insight is something that you do for your community. So I think that's a really awesome way to look at it. Yeah, like scientific advancement is public good, right? Like it helps people live their lives easier or smarter or better, right? Yeah. I mean, I I personally, my field of research is studying adolescents and young adults. Mm. And, you know, I end up getting going to talk to lots of parent groups mm-hmm. and forums like that because people really want insight into their children. Mm-hmm. And research is how you gather that insight. And it's also interesting being around undergraduates because what I study is them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and when they participate in my research, they are studying themselves. Wow. When the subjects become mm-hmm. the researchers, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you're, I, I'm picturing undergraduates looking themselves in the mirror, like, okay, what can I learn about myself for my class? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what they say. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that both of you are researchers in liberal arts fields. We always tell our students, you know, what do you think about research? And they always come back with you know, an image of a biology lab, of a chemistry lab, petri dishes and beakers and everything. And it's kind of hard for them to perceive research as something that is integral to every subject and every discipline. Um, What do you think that students should know about the various different types of research methodologies and all of the ways that research can occur outside of a chem lab or a bio lab? 
I mean, something I tell students a lot is that truly any anything they can imagine, people are studying that here. So they're using pretty much any research method or technique that exists, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so aside from sort of lab and, and STEM research, like you mentioned, um, UT is great for archival research. So the fact that we have things like the Ransom Center here where mm-hmm. people can go, including students, right? Lots of undergrads make use of this to look at archival materials and study you know, writing processes, creative processes that those archives were a result of. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a fantastic opportunity. Um, people doing research on government, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's about looking at actions in the past, right? Or policies that have played out and the data surrounding that. It's not data from a from a test tube or whatever, but it's still, um, a, a quant- it can be a quantitative type of research that's also like tying into the liberal arts, right? I mean, yeah. it's there's not such a strict divide between, you know, math and science things and liberal arts things, not by any means. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I totally get it that that's the conception that most students have of... Yeah, and that's what's portrayed in the media too, right? Research equals labs. (laughs) And to be fair, that's really valuable and it is really representative of the very best that UT can offer its students in terms of research training. But there is a lot more out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, and when you just look within the College of Liberal Arts, it's not just the topics that are studying, it's how people do the study. And, you know, many years ago, I did, I was introduced to research in a capstone project for my major here at UT. And I did something called a content analysis, which is a way of systematically deciphering patterns from media, mm-hmm. print or digital mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was focusing on the Equal Rights Amendment. And I really have, it's completely lost to the fog of memory why I did those things. <laughs> and it bears no resemblance to what I do now. And now what I do is called uh, mixed methods, quantitative, qualitative research, which is like, so what I might do is statistically analyze a national database about students, yeah. right, to to establish or to identify in very broad brushstrokes the non-academic factors that affect academic progress. Hmm. And then when once that's established, I try and dig a lot deeper by going into a specific school and spending a year there mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. talking to students and following them around and observing them and following them on social media to try and figure out, well, what's going on intimately mm-hmm. and personally within those patterns. And there are other people like me in the college, but we're really a small minority. Mm-hmm. You know, you have... Um, you know, psychologists who are doing experiments on kids, figuring out how kids learn language, or on older people figuring out what's going on with memory decline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have historians, like we have historians here creating, they're going, like doing the hard work of digitizing all these old archival records mm-hmm. for people to study the slave trade. Right? Yeah. Um, we have ethnographers who immerse themselves in social movements, trying to figure out like what's working and why aren't they achieving their goals. We have geographers and anthropologists who use laser technology to wow. to establish the environmental impact of, of climate change and things like that on the land. And we have humanists who are creating uh, multimedia um, tours yeah. of landscapes and towns and periods from classic novels mm. oh to God. give you another way of experiencing a book. So there's something there for everybody. Yeah. And I'd actually be interested, considering your background, the kind of research you did, because it could not probably could not be any more different than what I just described of myself. Well, actually, you just described two things that I've sort of done research related to. So, I mean, my degree is in French. When I was an undergrad, I did French and linguistics. Mm-hmm. And so I then came to grad school to do French linguistics. 
shockingly enough, right? Put them together <laughs> and what do you have? Yeah, exactly. But linguistics is a is an area where there's some type of research where it is almost humanities oriented, where it's very much like it tends to be single people or small groups of people just analyzing problems and, you know, just sort of working it out. But I was dealing with much more quantitative stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I got involved in cognitive neuroscience approaches mm -hmm. to linguistics. So I did like brain imaging on people um, learning and processing second languages. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, like you mentioned child language acquisition, mm -hmm. adult uh, second language acquisition. Um, and then, yeah, my, my work in that actually led me to work with people um, just working in sort of broader issues of cognitive neuroscience, including memory. So it's like I have a degree from a department where many of the people are doing things like, uh, so like Guy Raffa doing all the Italian, the Dante, the, the Dante stuff, <laughs> yeah, where it's about like, you know, a work from hundreds of years ago and making it accessible to people as a, as a humanist. And then I'm like putting a, a special cap on somebody's head to measure their brainwaves. Like, and it was all in the same department. Yeah. I think that that's so, such an important point because I think that most undergraduates, when they think about scholarship in French and Italian, they're thinking about literary yeah. scholarship, right. and which is a huge part of what they do. It's probably, actually, that's probably the majority. But then there's also people who are studying the acquisition and development of the language itself and how people learn that. And that is much more akin to like what I would do, um, you know, or what would happen in the psychology department. And so it's not just that within the college there's this breadth or heterogeneity of approach and topic. It's even within an individual department, even a small department like that one, you have the, that range. Well, you started talking about, you know, your own history and what you studied. What got you excited about research as an undergraduate? How did you start in this world of research beyond just what was required in maybe some of your classes? Um, well, I did kind of get forced into it, I think, you know, when I was an undergrad. That sounds more pejorative than I mean it, but I wouldn't, I don't think I necessarily would have chosen it. I mean, you know, when I would, before I came to UT, I didn't really know what research was. Mm -hmm. And I certainly didn't think it was something I should or could do. And I think like a lot of undergraduates, in addition to that stereotype about labs, what they're really thinking about when they think about research is the consumption of research or mm -hmm. the consumption of knowledge. So it, in other words, um, you know, research is going out and gathering right. information right. Um, from a source right. about a topic. Going to the library. Yeah, and the library, or now it would be the internet. Mm -hmm. right? And and those, without really thinking necessarily that those sources are based on research being produced by mm -hmm. some someone mm -hmm. else. And when I went, went into this capstone thing I, um, for my major to graduate, so it was a capstone program. It was, was, was got yeah, you yeah, involved. First. It was, and so it was a requirement. So I had uh -huh. to do it, <laughs> and um, and so I did it, and that's when I began to see the production of research, which is you have a topic and you go out and you uh, collect and or analyze data to inform our understanding of a topic. That's a very different thing, and and stepping across that line is is really quite important to do, and you know, and like I said, I got somewhat forced into doing this, but that experience made me realize that the production of research is something that I was very interested in participating in, sociological mm -hmm. research in particular. And, you know, if you had told me that, you know, when I was growing up in North Texas on the plains, I would have been stupefied. Like, I would <laughs> never have thought that that was something that, that I could do, but I did it. 
I went from that capstone experience to applying to graduate school to go to graduate school to actually get more intensive and formal research training. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, the rest is history. Mm -hmm. How about you? I got into research sort of like in a totally backwards way, like kind of the wrong way. Like in a lot of ways, it's it's not what I recommend um, students do. So it's a um, cautionary tale. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. I mean, it really does inform like my interest in wanting students to approach it uh, the right way here at UT. But I did my undergrad not at UT; it was at a different university, and. Um, I took a class with a professor and he just brought up a topic that I thought was super interesting. And this was a French, it was a French linguistics class, in fact. And it had to do with the fact that, um, you know, I think most people, they think of France, they think of just French, like just this monolithic, like they Mm -hmm. only speak French Mm -hmm. in France. And that's not at all true. There's a lot of minority languages. Um, And so we spent a lot of the class talking about that. And there were elements of that that I found just like super fascinating, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I was going to study abroad. And while there, I wanted to... I just wanted to learn more about one of these particular minority languages that came up. It's called Occitan. It's like, it's not very widely talked about, I think, even in France, actually, certainly not in the U.S. I thought this was like the coolest, just most, this unusual thing that was new to me and and I was really into. So I talked a lot to the professor. He told me, he like turned me on to a lot of resources about it, just Mm -hmm. lots of information about it. And then I went and studied abroad. And while I was there, I did collect other information about it and interviewed some people and got these resources. But I didn't actually like work out a plan with him to do it as research. Like mm-hmm. it was more just, well, this is a thing you could learn more about. And by the end of the process, I had learned a lot more about it. And I realized I had all this information in, the, in this material, but not like a research question. Like I hadn't mm-hmm. really approached it in a systematic you way. You had like a curiosity yeah. about the subject, yeah. but not in like a focus or direction. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we also, you know, I had no arra- no formal arrangement like to do a capstone mm-hmm. paper or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came back and I mean, I talked to him about it. I was like, well, this is really cool. But ah, it wasn't really done in a way that lent itself to to having a, a nice end product. Uh-huh. So then I went to grad school and ended up, like I said, I focused on things that were less like humanistic parts of language and, and culture and stuff and more of the, the linguistics and cognitive neuroscience part. Um, but yeah, from then on, it, it was more a matter of, oh, you connect with a mentor who can really you know, shepherd you through the process of approaching things in a systematic way. And you, know, you narrow down your scope of investigation and all that. Um, so that that's the right way to do it, to work hand in hand with somebody who already knows what they're doing. Yeah. The, the recommended way. I don't know that there's a, a right or True. wrong way, maybe, but uh. I, I'll add to that that you know I was really when I was in when I was an undergrad and I did this project, I was really interested in a specific topic, and then that's why I went to graduate school. But then when I went to graduate school, through a series of circumstances, I ended up working under you know, with a professor who studied children and adolescents and young adults and mm-hmm. families. And um, and I completely switched my focus to that. And it wasn't that I just was being mercenary mm-hmm. about it. It's just working with this person and seeing things through his eyes really sparked my own interest. And, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, I think that, it, that a lot of students don't realize that any research project that they get involved in is probably going to spark their interest, right? right? And so they don't necessarily need to think, I'm interested in this, so I'm going to go find a research opportunity Mm -hmm. in that. Instead, what it could be is, I just want to find a research opportunity because who knows where it's going to lead me. That was what I did. Mm -hmm. I had so much fun with it because I started doing research my sophomore year of college, and I didn't know 
what there was to do research about, but I just like joined a lab, um, Innovations for Peace and Development. And I got there and I can tell you, I could not care less about (laughs) private militaries and security companies. Like (laughs) nothing about that sounds interesting to me, but I got placed on that project. And all of a sudden I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I was having the time of my life going to the library and like picking up giant stacks of book, carrying them home and like inputting all of the data and everything. Like all of that sounds so boring when you're not immersed in it. But like any project that you do get involved in, eventually it does become somewhat of an interest or a passion for you where it is at least fun and interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I have a lot of undergrad students and they're like, I'm very specifically interested in this one niche thing, it's like, you can probably find somebody at UT who does that one niche thing. It's probably going to exist. But also, broaden your mind a little bit. Let's be a little bit more creative about what kind of research you want to do. Why don't you just try out researching with any professor that has an opportunity and see what happens? Yeah, it feels like the common thread is curiosity, mm-hmm. right? Like if like something really just piques your interest and you find yourself going down like a YouTube rabbit hole or a Wikipedia rabbit hole, like that's that's uh, you know, a novice research, right? Like that's like the first step towards becoming a researcher, I yeah. feel like. If you're up at three in the morning <laughs> yeah, uh, watching like your tenth YouTube video about a particular topic. That's me on TikTok lately. <laughs> There's been this thing. It's called Couch Boy. It's a whole. It's a whole other thing. I cannot explain it. But I don't know if I want to know. I know. I was trying to explain research to my students in class, and they're like, "But like, what is research? How do I? How do I even begin?" And it's like, "Are you interested in something? Do you want to learn more?" It's kind of like Couch Boy, and they're like, "Oh, that makes a lot of sense." So it's just like I'm going down a TikTok rabbit hole. And I'm like, "Yeah, that's basically what it is." But you do it on campus, and like with actual sources that mm-hmm. have been published yeah. yeah we do we talk a lot recently like in my office and about um this phrase that gets thrown around a lot more now where it's like do your own research because <laughs> sometimes people <laughs> use that in a way where they're not they're not really thinking in terms of like you know scholarly research like sources yeah. that are um you know well grounded in the literature and yeah. research mm-hmm. methods that sort of thing when yeah. doing your own research is kind of like what you were just talking about dean crosley like that's just the consumption of knowledge and not the creation of new ideas and new knowledge right yes i agree i mean it's are you using sources or are you the source are you creating you know right? and um and that's a long journey between those two things and yeah. that's what we're here for well, that's UT what graduate to, school's yeah. for too yeah. i feel like yeah. mm-hmm. uh, I, i've always looked at you know phd and doctoral programs as the training ground for researchers that's where you learn how to do research how to be part of the research academy yes um, and i also think that's why undergraduates sometimes feel left out of the conversation right because most of the the, I guess, traditional methods of engaging in research exists at the graduate level. That is true. But I would also say that some of the best teachers of research for for undergraduates are graduate students. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it's just a nice liaison between the faculty and the students. And so, for example, I have lots of um, undergraduate research assistants in my various projects. Mm -hmm. But my graduate students are the ones who actually do the, like, real hands-on training because the undergraduate students relate to them mm-hmm. better and um, and then I supervise the whole enterprise and so I I, I think that that split that perceived split between undergraduate students and graduate students can problematize the um, 
the development of undergraduate researchers. You know, yeah. we we that's actually our secret secret ingredient for getting undergraduates more involved in research. Yeah. Well, that's actually you know mm-hmm. a, a good lead into this question. You know, what 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 can undergraduate students do to get involved in research? And like they don't really know where to start. Where can they start? Well, Rob's really the expert on yeah. that. That's, yeah, that's Rob's job, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, so we try to work with students from like the entire campus to help them take these first steps. Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, honestly, a lot of what we do is, um, you know, advising with them or info sessions to talk about ways to strategize how they would go about this and like put their best foot forward. Because mm-hmm. usually what it comes down to to get started in research in the first place is for them to find a professor who does a thing that they want to be a part mm-hmm. of and mm-hmm. to just ask. Mm-hmm. And that's oversimplifying it a lot. Like, and it sort of sounds ridiculous when you're like, how do you do it? You just ask. But that kind of is, is how it begins. It's yeah. like you start a conversation with them. And if the professor is doing something where, you know, their needs for the project really match with what the student has going on and what they're trying to get out of it and their own, you know, knowledge, skills, qualifications, mm-hmm. um, that they would start to work together mm-hmm. or, you know, involve the student in some way, like working more directly with grad students, other people in the in the lab, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I mean we um, we have some resources uh, to help students like find out what professors are working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this website called Eureka, yeah, which is a database of um, it's really two databases. Um, there's a profile for pretty much every faculty member at the whole university, just sort of saying what they work on in general. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a space where professors can sort of have like listings of projects where right now they're trying to recruit people. Mm-hmm. So it's like wanted ads almost. Um, and a ton of students use it, and a lot of faculty use it as well. Um, not all faculty post like projects on that listing, so mm-hmm. it, it ends up being. I mean, it's like a couple hundred do every year, so content is there, but like it's still a pretty small slice of all the research happening at the sure. at the university. Yeah. So I always like to remind students, like you know, don't just limit the scope of your of your search to just those projects because there's so much else happening uh, at the university right now. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that you know. Rob's office, the Office of Undergraduate Research and the School of Undergraduate Studies is, I mean, it's really there to serve the whole university. Mm-hmm. And but, but there are versions of it in each college sure. or most colleges too, including the College of Liberal Arts. And I think that the service that they give is really helping students map out you know, the, you know, the strategy for for doing this. And I completely understand, especially at a university like UT, how daunting it seems to, to navigate the world of research. But the first step in doing that, which is going to his office or Mm -hmm. going to my office, Mm -hmm. that's easy. That's pretty easy. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in any given semester, I get dozens and dozens of emails from students, um, who are inquiring about research projects, some of which work out and some of which don't. And I always tell other students, I'm like, they're doing something you're not doing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're getting something that mm-hmm. you're not getting. And so I think that it's partly students understanding or being motivated to do it, but it's also our responsibility to help scaffold that, sure. um, that a lot and make it easier for them. I understand it. That, that's a scary proposition mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, coming up mm-hmm. to a professor that you might not even know mm-hmm. and asking, but like, what's the worst that can happen? Mm-hmm. They say no. <laughs> um, in in the best that they that can happen is they say yes 
And then in between, they say no, but they introduce you to somebody else who might be a better fit. Mm-hmm. So there's truly no harm in just asking. We do a lot of trying to make professors seem less scary to yeah. students. I'm happy to hear your yeah. advice is kind of in line with what we do in a lot of our first year programs. Right now, it's just trying to get them like, hey, go to office hours. That's mm-hmm. a place you should be going to and doing. Yeah. Start building these relationships with faculty now so that when you are ready to do research, your junior or senior year, you already have that relationship established. And, um, you know, we we just had a class on, on registration and I showed my students where they can look at uh, faculty CVs and explain what a CV is. And it's basically like a resume for all your faculty and you can see what kind of research they're doing or research they've done before. And if that's something that you're interested in, read it and ask them about it. I feel like that's, that's every professor's dream is to have a student come to them <laughs> and ask them about a paper that they wrote that wasn't assigned for class, right? Like talk about an office hours to remember. <laughs> and just to be realistic, I mean, there are going to be some professors who are not nice about this, right? You know, I mean, <laughs> everyone's but, different, right? You yeah, know, this it, is true. Th- this is the truth. But most of them are not. Mm-hmm. And if you do happen to run across A one curmudgeon. of the one of the curmudgeons, <laughs> just just keep trying because yep, other yep. ones are out there for sure. I also just want to keep plugging the Office of Undergraduate Research because it truly is like the best and easiest place to start to just have someone walk you through all the processes of starting in research. And there are so many things available in the Office of Undergraduate Research too. I remember you had actually helped me um, work out some funding issues for a scholarship or a grant that I had gotten from OUR. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just like a lot of opportunities in there that students don't know about. I'm like, just go to the basement of the FAC. They'll help you out. <laughs> just go there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like funding, we do a lot of funding for students um, who like once they've gotten started doing the research project. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they can get funding they, for their own projects, right? Yeah. Not yeah. just faculty projects. Yeah, that's yeah. very much the model. It's like about a quarter of students on the campus like might have the possibility of getting funded as they're like assisting a professor. Mm-hmm. But kind of the more common thing is you, that involvement tends to turn more towards the student like having ownership of part of the project, like mm-hmm. intellectual ownership, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're sort of taking the lead on it. And then um, those types of independent projects are the kinds where uh, they might apply for funding. They might yeah. present it in an event, you know, like give a talk or present a research poster mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they sort of walk people through the process of what they've done. And we do a lot of events um, so that they can share their work that way. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about the opportunity to get published, right? You could co-author a paper with a faculty member. Um, I like to sell it as you might work on a project with a professor and then you might go abroad and do some field research with them, mm-hmm. depending on what the scope of the project is. And trying to figure out ways to, to sell it so it's a little bit sexier than hanging out in the library. <laughs> it kind of is hanging out in the library. Oh my gosh. I remember um, a while ago, some I was like having um, just a conversation with friends about, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Like, what is there to do? And it's like, you know, your dream job might not be something that exists or it might not be something that you know exists. And I think that for a lot of undergraduate, res- a lot of undergraduate students, something that they don't know exists is actually researching and getting involved in um, producing knowledge and producing scholarship. Like I know for a fact that as a first gen student, I thought school was you go to class, you go to lecture, and then you take a test. And right. That was about it. And then after a while, you get your degree. Yeah, and after a while, you get your degree, and then all of a sudden, everyone around me was like, "Oh yeah, so this research lab, and then I got paid to do this, and then I did that, and then I presented this." And I was like, "What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. That sounds really cool. Uh-huh. Please let me in the loop." Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that the um, 
you know, you can talk about the meaningful and the practical, right? And mm. on the meaning side, we know that education is about more than listening and reading, right? Yeah. It's about doing. Mm-hmm. And the the research is doing. It's doing, learning is doing, and that adds to and it maximizes classroom-based learning. I mean, yeah. there's no question about it. On the practical side, something I alluded to earlier being able to analyze data, understanding methodology, those types of things really are concrete skills that are very well aligned with the 21st century economy, which is often referred to as the knowledge economy Mm -hmm. or the information Information, economy. And so whether it's the meaning side or the practical side or or both, you know, you're really getting, you are gaining something from it that is going to help you. And I'm going to go back to this competitive edge uh, analogy I did earlier, if you're not doing that, but some other students are, mm-hmm. they are they're winning. Yeah. <laughs> right. They're they they're beating you, you, you know, yeah. and they have something you don't. And right. you are not getting as much out of this university as you could. Yeah. Especially because I, I think a lot of times liberal arts students think that, oh well, it's liberal arts, so I don't need to do all the sciencey things. I don't need to do the math things. But that mm-hmm. was something that I learned like junior year is Apparently, I need stats. Apparently, I need to learn how to do data analysis. Yeah. But how how unique is it for students to, you know, graduate and have all of the wonderful research and critical thinking and problem solving skills that comes with liberal arts, but also the actual quantitative skills and like, I guess, like the quote unquote hard skills that comes with doing research. And I think that I think that a lot of times students really undersell the ability to learn how to use different data analysis tools quickly and to customize it for different projects. Like, I think that is something that not everybody who goes into the market force has. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, within the liberal arts, there's, you know, what we're really doing is critical analysis. Mm -hmm. And you can critically analyze statistics the Mm -hmm. way that I do, or you can critically analyze text and pieces of art and discussion you know it's all critical (laughs) legislation it's all critical analysis and that's really what we're driving home it that takes it takes many different forms Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um well you know going back to this idea of like you know you're not getting everything out of the university that you could what what are some of the individual benefits to to participating in research for undergraduate students do you think well i mean like like rob just said the acquisition of skills like the learning by doing the mm-hmm. this whole um this whole thing where actually acting out and living through the process is learning it in a profoundly different way from hearing right. about it or reading about it or watching a video about it any of those things um, that's a huge part of it, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, I do like to sort of emphasize to students that there are a lot of sort of career instrumental benefits of this right. too. I mean, so it's not just yeah. being able to talk about skills that that um, you might put on your resume or talk to an employer about, but like if you end up thinking about grad school or mm-hmm. med school, like professional schools, number one, to have a professor on your side to write a rec letter for you. And number two, that professor might also put you in touch with like, oh, this is a program you should check out. I have a colleague here who could, you know, like you should look at what they're doing, stuff like that. Um, yeah, our fields are kind of small worlds sometimes, right? Like people know each other in in the different academic fields and can call in for, hey, look out for this student's application or I worked with this student and they were really great. That that stuff goes a long way towards you getting accepted to a program or uh, you getting a research position. 
Yeah. What about for students who aren't looking to go into grad school or med school or law school where it really is valuable to have previous research experience? What if students, they just want to graduate and they want to get a job and just stay that way? Yeah. I mean, I would still say it can be rewarding just because it might be a meaningful activity where you're impacting society. It's like, you know, it. I think most people would feel that it's a good thing to make a positive impact, right? Yeah. Um, it, it's actually a really good way to learn about your likes and dislikes. Yeah, mm. like an internship. Yeah, so even if it's it's not even a matter of prepping yourself for some sort of subsequent education stuff, but it's just a matter of like figuring out your major or figuring out your specialization within your major or just knowing the things that you're going to be curious about further on in life, like yeah. mm-hmm. the experience you have doing research, um, you're going to deepen your knowledge of like that content um, to such an extent that, that you'll sort of get to know yourself better. Yeah, and then you're like, well, I do want to spend the next six years of my life in graduate school studying this, or no way, Jose, (laughs) would I ever study this for another six years, right? I mean, research is about process, right? And and you know, and training in research, which is what we're talking about with undergraduates, Mm -hmm. it's learning a process, and that process is translatable to many, many different things. I mean, critical analysis, communication, understanding data, and you know, these are things that really matter, and and. You know, and they can really help you regardless of whether you want to be a researcher or not. And, you know, one of the most valuable things that I've learned from doing research is just I've fully accepted that how fragile a lot of my assumptions about the world are because mm-hmm. I'm so constantly wrong, yeah. um, you know, with my studies. I mean, you know, you, to the best of your abilities, based on theory and past research, you develop hypotheses, you try to test those hypotheses. Oftentimes you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And once you've done that enough, you get much more flexible in the way that you think about things. <laughs> and I, I personally That's think so that the world could use a lot more of that right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, is there anything else that we haven't really talked about that you think you know students need to know about undergraduate research or maybe uh, opportunities that are coming up that you wanted to highlight or, or shout out? I mean, one thing that I just I like students to know in general is that this is like a very normal thing for students to do at UT. Like yeah. it's about half of UT undergrads who do research that's not part of their classroom experience at all, but like this sort of above and beyond type of research. Mm-hmm. It's about half of students here who do that at some point. So it's like... It's not just like for some tiny sliver of the population. It's like anybody can can do this. Yeah, I I talk about the 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 research on undergraduate research, and that the research shows that it's a really beneficial things for students to engage in. They on average make higher grades than students that don't engage in undergraduate research. They go to grad school at higher rates than students that don't. They enjoy college. They like in this. a yeah. different True. way. Yeah. And you kind of get to see behind the UT burn orange curtain a little bit. Yeah, especially right? at a place like UT that's so big mm-hmm. and everything. It gives you some, you know, it gives you an edge to do it. I mean, I, you know, I do, I am a firm believer in giving concrete opportunities. So mm-hmm. I, you know, there are a few that we can talk. I could let's talk like general to specific. I mean, on the university level, I'm a big fan of the Bridging Disciplines program, oh, yeah. which yes. is also yeah. in the School of Undergraduate Studies, and I've been involved with one of them. But there are many reasons I like that program, not the least of which is just the whole interdisciplinary vibe mm-hmm. of it. But what I really like is that when it comes to research, they put their money where their mouth is. Mm-hmm. They emphasize that it's an important part of the learning process, and then they help you figure it out, right? Because yeah. right. students, it's daunting, like as we said before, and 
they help you mm-hmm. do that. And a lot of the students that have worked on my research projects came to me because BDP was contacting me about, yeah. you know. Um, in my own college, the College of Liberal Arts, we're about to relaunch um, something called the Undergraduate Research Apprenticeship. Uh-huh. And this is going to be starting next fall. It's a paid semester-long internship where students are assigned to student cohorts in a specific mm-hmm. research unit. Mm-hmm. And um, and then they engage in group research activities and training with a faculty member and a PhD student mentoring pair. And, you know, one of the the units that's going to be doing this is Innovations in Peace and Development. So, yeah. So, yeah, um, I was about to say, you... You're paying them? Yes. I only know of one lab on campus that does that. No. There's actually a lot of paid opportunities. Wow. So, for example, I have always paid my um, undergraduate Do research y'all hear inter- that? Uh, interns. That money. Unfortunately, that money. That, my most recent project is over, so I've run out of, of, of spots for that. But, um, And then within the Population Research Center, which is my own unit within the College of Liberal Arts, the National Science Foundation funds a summer research internship program for undergraduates. Yes. <laughs> and it's residential. You live here at UT. You get paid. Um, and you get a really immersive training in demographic research and policy analysis. And the theme right now for that is about families, you know, mm-hmm. just studying families and especially family diversity in the United States. But that's like 12 students per year. These are all things that have websites uh-huh. that have an application, uh-huh. you know, yeah. and so that cuts out the daunting part of it. You uh-huh. just fill out the application um, and you don't have to do the work on your own. You actually get assigned mm-hmm. to the research project. Awesome. Yeah, get some of that tuition money back, right? Seriously. <laughs> but those are just three. I'm just giving those three as an example of the breadth of things that are that are out there. Yeah, it's hard to even know mm-hmm. how many things are out there because it is such a big institution. And sometimes when I think about research, um, you know, I think about it as what's happening in the rest of the building, right? Like I think about Patton Hall. There's classrooms on the first floor and in the basement, but there's this whole other part mm-hmm. of the building where other things are happening. There's a lot of places on campus that aren't classrooms where research is happening. You know, and we and I was the chair of the sociology department for a, a long time. And, you know, people tend to think about sociologists like I'm a quantitative sociologist where I'm analyzing statistics. We also have a lot of what's called qualitative sociologists who are doing, you know, out there observing mm-hmm. and um, and watching and listening. And um, but some of our most recent hires actually have labs where they're extracting, you know, biological specimens to trace the impact of things like racism on the body, right? And so, you know, every single, I guarantee students that their conception of research in any given thing, much like what Rob was saying about French and Italian, is way too narrow. Yeah, yes. I think research needs a new publicist. <laughs> I think it really does. Like a whole, a whole marketing campaign, uh-huh. a whole PR campaign. It, it really needs a revamping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. Uh, research needs the same publicist that Brussels sprouts got. Like... <laughs> I agree because I'm a huge fan of Brussels sprouts now. I just needed to no longer think that narrowly about Brussels sprouts. Uh, well, uh, I'm not we're... going down that road. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that's a different podcast for a different day. I think. Well, I can't thank you both so much for, uh, I can't thank you both enough for coming to talk with us about this topic. It's super important. And it's one of those like Wizard of Oz, like 
most undergraduates aren't really sure what's happening behind the curtain with research. So we appreciate the opportunity to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and, and talk to our listeners about what's happening in the rest of the buildings on campus. Well, and as Rob said, most students actually do do research yeah, by the time them. they graduate. Yeah. So just remember that. It's the norm. Well, we're going to try to get it to like 75%, <laughs> right? Like that's part of our goal, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, Thank you so much, y'all. This was a really, really awesome episode. Just we talk about research so often in our mm -hmm, classes. Mm -hmm. And besides my own personal experience, I'm not able to give them what is on the other side from offices that support students to professors that do the research with students. So this was a really great episode to have. I think they'll really appreciate this. Thanks so much, y'all. Thank you Thank for having you. us. That was a super awesome episode. I'm so glad that we had both of those guests with us here today. I feel smarter just having been in the same room with those too. guys. <laughs> when when Dr. Regler was talking about the weird little caps reading your brain waves or whatever, I was just like, I'm sorry, they do this in liberal arts? Right, yeah, I didn't picture know that. like the little EKG machine, me right? Too, like moving me the too. needles around. Because when he said French linguistics, I was like, you're reading books. Mm -hmm. He was not reading books. He was reading <laughs> your brain reading waves. Brain waves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but honestly, like I, I really appreciated that both of our guests today plugged some super awesome resources. We had Dr. Reichley from the Office of Undergraduate Research. This is... Honestly, one of my favorite res resources yeah. at UT. They're a great partner um, with the College of Liberal Arts, and I really like getting to work with those folks. Yeah, yeah, because I think a lot of times research can seem very daunting, you know, yeah. even if you already have an idea for what you want to do, you already have a professor or a lab, it can still feel very directionless. You know, where do you go next? What do you take your research to the next step with, you know, there's publication, there's presentations, there's posters, there's all these sorts of different things. But how do you get to that point? And I think that the Office mm -hmm. of Undergraduate Research is a really great way to do that. Absolutely. That. Yeah, I think that stops a lot of people from engaging in research, right? They yeah. feel like they need to have all their ducks in a row. They need to already have funding. They already need to know exactly what they want to do and what they exactly. want to research and exactly. have it all figured out. But yeah. as we learned today, that's not necessarily the case at all. Exactly. Like Dr. Reichley even said, they'll help you work through the hypothesis. Uh, uh -huh, uh -huh. They'll, they'll help you frame your hypothesis in a way that makes it easy. Yeah. Not easy, but I guess... Makes sense. Structured and makes sense. Uh -huh, yeah. yeah. That's probably because he wishes somebody had done that for him earlier. <laughs> right? I, I agree because when he was talking about that, I also very much related. When I was working on my thesis, that was how I felt. It was like, this is something I'm really interested in. I have no structure. Mm -hmm. I am just going to read books and talk to people just because. Mm -hmm, I have no, mm -hmm. no reasoning for any of this. Yeah. One thing that we didn't talk about was like research... What? as like a selfish act almost, right? Like yeah. you can research things to help yourself understand yes. yourself better or understand your world around you better. I remember when I was in graduate school, I did a lot of research about hazing when mm -hmm. I worked in, Greek, and I worked in the, the Dean of Students office in student activities in Greek life. And that was a very interesting topic to me and I wanted to know more about it. And yeah. it was crazy to learn that, you know, the same kinds of things that happen a thousand years ago in universities are still happening today <laughs> with hazing. And that kind of made me feel like less bad about it in yeah. some weird, strange way. But, yeah, yeah, I was about to make a joke, but I was like, I feel like, I feel like we job. will get a cease and desist yeah. immediately. So yeah. I will not be making jokes, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and then I also really appreciated that Dar um, Dean Crosno talked about all of those opportunities at the very end. And he mentioned, you know, these are just three opportunities mm -hmm. where there's research that is 
structured, um, profound, relevant, and paid, but it's just three of the many options available. And for undergraduates, right? Yes, they're all for undergraduates. I brought it up during the conversation, but I do feel like there's this perception that research is only for grad students, right? Um, But we hope we demonstrated today that that's not at all the case. And and in Dean Crosno's case, he hires 12 undergraduates every year to help with his research. He hires, like, with money. That's incredible (laughs) to me. (laughs) Because there was, I remember years ago in the UT, like, Facebook meme page, Uh there was this meme, um, the professor was like, I only get paid 50k a year to do this research and the grad student was like 50k i only get 20k <laughs> and then the undergraduate was like you guys get paid <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like i get course credit maybe if you're yeah, lucky maybe <laughs> yeah so that was incredible and you know like he he did point out these things are all out there for you you just need to ask or you just need to apply mm-hmm, um you just mm-hmm. gotta put yourself out there and a good place to start Office of Undergraduate Research. It does take a little bit of initiative, I think. Um, Some students do get lucky and some research opportunities fall into their lap, but I think more often than not, it does take students taking the first step, whether that's going to office hours and asking a question about the professor's research or what opportunities there are, or going to the Office of Undergraduate Research's website or going to Eureka or going to an event. Um, But, you know, uh, as with all things in life, you know, the the more you put some effort and steam behind it, like mm-hmm. the more likely you are to get some results. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Overall, really awesome episode. I'm excited to talk to our students about this in class. Again. Me too. Uh, I hope you all learned something about undergraduate research that you didn't know uh, beforehand. I know that I did. I learned a lot. I learned a lot, a lot. Well, uh, I think that's all the time we have for this episode. Our 10th uh, episode! Yeah, we made it to 10! Double digits. Double digits. We're, we're fancy. Uh, thanks for hanging out and listening with us. Um, and I guess until next time, we hope that all your endeavors are a success. <laughs> <laughs>